Well, good morning. Hey, welcome to Bridgewater. We are so glad you're here this morning. My name is Matt. I have the joy and honor of being the campus pastor here. I've been here just with David. Uh, I just want to say welcome to you. Uh, we are in week two of two of our Christmas series. Uh, every year we take a couple weeks out of the year just to talk about finances and what uh, the Bible has to say about it because um, it is one of Jesus' most talked about things. And one of the reasons he talks about it so heavily is because nothing offers a window to your soul uh, quite like money. No, nothing reveals our heart and what's really in there quite like money. And, and we have seen this to be true over the last couple of years um, of the pandemic state and some of those situations that happened, like um, scarcity around toilet paper, revealed what was in our heart, right? So Jesus is going to talk about some of those things in a way that hopefully um, sets our hearts on things that are greater than or above what the world would be chasing. And so if you missed last week, that's what we, we kicked off talking about. And this week we're going to talk about um, really what it looks like to believe God for more than we can presently see and to, to just establish a, a healthy relationship with money, finances, and things and, and how God would have us walk in that. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 12. But while you're turning there, I just want to talk a little bit about money because um, sometimes money in church conversations can be weird. Um, you know, they can, we can stand up and talk and, and shame money and shame having things. And, and, and that's not what Jesus does in Scripture. You see, money isn't a necessary evil. Um, many like to call it a necessary evil. That's just a misreading of a passage. Money is, money is nothing. Money has no soul. Money has no ability to be evil. Money has no ability to do evil. But it's what's inside of the hearts of the humans who either hold that money or want that money that becomes evil. And so um, when we're talking about money in this, this, I don't want us to think that um, money and wealth are bad. It's what we decide to do with them and where we decide to place them in our heart that can be dangerous. And so that, that's the conversation we're having um, today or, around that. But I want to ask a couple questions before we get started. Um, how many of you in the last, uh, let's say, two weeks would say you've lost some sleep because when you're trying to sleep, there's something that's got you really worried. It's just on your mind. Go ahead and throw your hands up if that's you. If you've lost some sleep over the last couple of weeks because you're worried about something, all right? Um, let's say over the last two weeks, um, you found yourself disengaged from a present conversation with someone. Someone was talking to you, and you did that whole like stare right through them because um, you're thinking about something you have to do, a conversation you have to have, or something that broke that you have to fix. Anybody relate to that one? All right, last one. Last two weeks, have you found yourself getting short or temperamental or perhaps a little feisty with somebody um, because something wasn't treated well? Either something broke or somebody wasn't handling the TV or how your significant other was driving, right? Anybody? All right, everybody's hands should be up on that one. All right. Now, if you raised your hand on any of the last three things, put them back up. All right. I can tell you from here, that's everybody. So, so here's my point. It's not a you problem. It's an us problem. There's something inside of each one of us that, that inherently worries about the future, about what we have to do, and our minds can so quickly run there or that we're caught up with the value of possessions and those things. So what Jesus is talking about today in this passage is, is for all of us. It's his answer to the human experience and the human problem with worry and how we handle those things. So we're actually going to pick up in the same exact text that we were in last week, Luke chapter 12. And in Luke chapter 12, Jesus has just told this parable to, the, to this crowd of people. A uh, parable is a story with a, a spiritual meaning. And in that, he tells this parable that's staggering, essentially of this man who begins to store up all of this wealth and things for himself, and he builds barns, but then he just drops dead. And God says, I'm going to make you give an account for your life. And guess what? You don't get to take any of that money or wealth or possessions with you when you stand before me. You will stand before me with nothing. 
And then he finishes that whole parable in verse 21 with this uh, staggering statement by saying, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. He just delivers this punchline at the end of the parable. And, And his point was not that he was being punished for being rich. He was being punished for being selfish. There was a selfishness around there. So whether you are poor, middle class, or rich, the problem is not how much you have. It's, it's how selfish are you with what you have, right? So, so that's the judgment that comes down on this man. So then he, he was teaching this to the crowd. He then turns into his disciples and begins to have a conversation with them about how they don't become that man. And here's what he says in verse 22. And then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. Okay, now, let's well pause there a second. You just heard this story about this guy that gets struck down. And the next thing Jesus says is, don't worry about your life. Like, I wasn't, but now that you said that, should I be? Like, I, do I drop dead? See, for them, what they understood to be true is similar to us, but more so for them, that if somebody was rich, it was equated with the blessing or the favor of God being on their life. And so for these disciples who were not all well off to hear that the rich man got judged, they would be asking the question, where do I stand in relationship to God if that guy got judged and I don't have the physical uh, appearances of God's blessings on my life, should I be in trouble? Should I be concerned? Then he's going to go on and say this, "Do do not worry about your life, what you will eat or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food and the body more than clothes. You notice the verb tense there in verse 22? It's a future tense. He's identifying what we all just identified by raising our hands, that there's something inside of us that is concerned about what will happen, what might happen, what will I wear, how will I provide, how will I pay that bill, what will I wear? Now that's a different, some of us think about that question more than others, but there is just this pull in us to be concerned about the things we can't yet control. So Jesus is identifying that, and then he goes on to to turn to nature to offer a solution. He says, consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, which is in contrast to the parable that he had just told. Yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than the birds? Our entire conversation today kind of hangs on this question, this statement that Jesus makes of how much more valuable you are than the birds. My question for you this morning as we consider how you think about your finances and your future is how important do you think you are to God? How important do you think you are to God? I don't mean that sarcastically, like how important do you think you are? But really and truly, when you consider how God views you, when God looks down at you, does he see someone he values greatly? Does he see someone he loves and and longs to provide for? When you think about how God sees you, what comes to mind? See, because that's the question that your worry hangs on. He, He just made this point. Listen, the birds which have no soul, which have no eternity, which do not bear the image of God, which have no inherent worth or value, they are animals. If the God of the universe cares for them, How much more you, who does have inherent worth, who does have eternity written on your soul, who does have the image of God put on you, who who will live forever with him, how much more valuable are you to him? The question really comes down to, do I think God sees, cares, and is willing to do something for me, or do I just not matter to God? Am I just a, a noise knocking on his 
door? The problem for many of us is that this question has to be filtered through a past experience. Maybe a parent who is supposed to show you your value and show you how much you mattered failed to provide some of that security, failed to provide some of the provision that should have been there for you as a kid. Maybe for you it was a spouse who was supposed to provide and protect or, or, or be something and they weren't that. Maybe it was an experience that made you question that. You see, we can take those bad experiences and then we put them on God and say, well, if these people didn't care for me, surely God might miss or drop the ball too. And we just begin to blame God for those. And so we have to back up and, and sift through, okay, how important do I think I am to God? Because that's going to determine, really, how you answer the question Jesus is going to go on and ask through this text, which is this. Do you trust God with your future? When you consider the life in front of you and you consider um, everything that's going to happen or could happen, can you genuinely say, I trust God with my future? And here's, here's where we need some real honesty this morning. You can give me your church answer, and you can give yourself your church answer of, yeah, of course I do. But if you really survey your life, your thought life, don't you worry? I think the most freeing thing some of us this morning could do would be to answer this question honestly, and the honest answer might be no. No, I don't trust God with my future. And here's, here's why this is freeing. He already knows you don't. He, he already knows that you struggle to trust him. Now, there may be a variety of reasons why you don't trust him. Maybe you're filtering it through that past experience. Maybe God didn't show up the way you thought he was supposed to show up. But when you can finally answer this question honestly, you've created a starting point for growth in your life. Because you can go back and say, no, I, I actually don't trust God with my future. And it may be, I don't trust God because whatever is on that other side of the because is your starting point. We need to go back and sit with the Lord and say, man, there was this past experience where I felt like God failed me, so I'm not trusting him with the future. See, our worry is revealing whether this answer is a yes or no. And again, if it's a no, this may be the most freeing thing for you today. Say, no, it's not. I don't trust him. I need to move through that. You see, worry is a state of mind where God is distrusted or discounted. Where is a state of mind where God's character is distrusted and his power is discounted? Worry really says that my present power, I think, is greater than God's future power because if I could control that, then it would be better. We're going we're gonna to dive into worry at length in the new year in January. We're going to kick off a series talking about that. But as it relates to money and finances, it makes a lot of sense if you don't trust God's character and if you don't trust his power, to worry. And Jesus is inviting us through this conversation into a place where we're reminded of our smallness and how that really is the pathway to freedom from worry and anxiety around finances. Let's see how he illustrates this. Verse 25, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Now, adding an hour to your life is actually a big deal. <laughs> like, on our deathbed, saying, no, 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 I, I'm going to add an hour to my life. Like, that's kind of a big deal, but this is his point, because he calls it a very little thing. And so if this very little thing, almost insignificant thing for God, is something we can't even do, how much more should we trust him for the things that are God-sized that we could never take control over? And his point is to put us in a, or remind us of our place of smallness and humility that we're not God. 
that we just, we aren't. And that's the tension around the conversation. Well, let's keep reading and see what he says here. Verse 27, he's going to re-illustrate our point for us. Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? We're going to pause right there. Do you see that value coming back in there again? You're not grass to God. You matter. But, but it brings up this tension that I think we can feel around money um, and feel around this conversation. And there's just this temptation to become a, like a flower. Now, none of you have thought, I'm going to be like a flower. But it, it kind of creates this weird dynamic in our walk where it's just like, I'm going to sit passively and not do anything. And God's just going to make it all happen. Like that, that's not what he's talking about. See, there's this tension between worrying so much that I think I'm God and working hard at the things God has called me to do. He's not talking about a healthy concern for life. Um, in fact, Proverbs is going to talk a lot about saving and a wise person is going to save. But I want you to consider the story of Joseph. The story of Joseph in the Old Testament Genesis, if you don't know it, um, was one of a man who was very clearly told by God to make barns, make storehouses, and begin to store up things in there. And that's exactly what um, Jesus is kind of talking against in this passage. So you have to ask the question, what's going on there with Joseph? See, he was commanded clearly to, to build up a storehouse and savings, but it wasn't for Joseph. It was for the entire nation of Egypt. It was by the command of God. And not only did it save Egypt, it saved the other nations, and it ultimately saved Israel because they had these storehouses. You see, there was a difference in his motivation. What, what the, the rich man was doing and what we can be tempted to do is to take this things and make a plan in case God doesn't show up. In case God doesn't come through, I still have this. But what Joseph was doing was showing that this is how God is coming through. This is how God is providing. And so the, the difference there in how we handle savings, like I have a savings account. I'm going to stand up here and talk about financial peace and, and those things. I believe in that. Proverbs believes in that. But it's a matter of motivation. Am I storing up? Am I saving? Am I worrying because I don't think God will come through? Or am I doing my due diligence in my part as a response to what God has told me to do? Do you catch the difference there? And here's the thing. You, we can't just give ourselves a free pass on motivation. Like We can all say, oh yeah, I'm just being Joseph, just preparing for the future. Like I don't know that in my own heart. I have to sit and examine and sit with the Lord and say, God, reveal if there's something in my heart. Reveal if I'm turning to my bank account rather than you. Reveal this to me. I can't just give myself um, a free pass on that one. But he's going to go on to say and kind of turn the corner uh, as to how we begin to change our thinking around this conversation. Verse 21, 9, excuse me. And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things. Your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and, and these things will be given to you as well. I love what verse 29 says. It says, do not set your heart on these things. Essentially saying, don't let the center of your person be consumed by the future, by possessions, or whatever it is that your heart is chasing. He says, it sits at the center of the heart of the one who doesn't know God. It says the pagans run after the things. Those who don't have a relationship with the, with the Father, their heart is consumed by that. He says, but you, you have a heavenly Father who knows that you need them. He says, so free up your heart space. 
How many of us would say that more of our heart is taken up by this than we would like it to be taken up with? See, in the conversation Jesus is having here is that it's a matter of understanding your relationship to the Father that will change how you relate to the future and how you relate to money and how you relate to your present circumstances. So the difference is those who know God know that he's already got their back. See, we can, we can talk a lot about the future and, and that, and it's easy at times to kind of separate, like those who are Christians and believe that Jesus is coming back. Like we believe that God is going to resurrect us and, and take us to heaven and live in an eternity with him, and somehow that's easier to trust him for than it is to trust him for earth. Right? Like it, it's real easy to trust God for heaven, but it can be difficult to trust him for earth. And I think what he's trying to get us to understand through this passage here is that there's there's a timeline to your life that is not determined by how many years you're on earth. Like the 80 years you live on earth is not the sum total of your life. It's a blip on the map because you have eternity written on your soul, believer or not, Christ follower or not, you will live for um, the eternity that God talks about. And so the, the, the question really comes down to, um, am I going to live as if these 80 years are it or will I see that, that God can do so much more? And this is what he's talking about with his kingdom. So if you begin to seek his kingdom, which is not determined by the 79 years life expectancy that you have, well, actually, men, we're 76. Ladies got us by a couple of years. They're 81, okay? But he says, would you set your mind, the center of your heart, on the kingdom? So if you seek first the kingdom of wealth, you're going to be worried about every bump and bru- or every dollar bill along the way, and it's, it will just consume you. If you're worried about the kingdom of health, You'll be consumed by every bump and bruise and every sickness, and it will just consume you. If you're worried about the kingdom of popularity, you'll relive every conversation you had, wondering how stupid you sounded in that last conversation, right? There's this, what's at the center of your heart? What kingdom are you living for? And he is saying here, if you seek his kingdom, the one that is eternal, these things will be added to you. But we need to talk about this tension here. Because um, these things and what we assume them to mean so often is worldly blessings, houses. Like there's kind of this weird understanding that if we just like seek his kingdom and just ignore all the things of the world and, oh, I love you, Jesus. Oh, I didn't expect this, right? Like we have to kind of ignore the things of this world in order for God to give them to us. Like that's not, that's selling this passage short. Because all around the world, there are believers who have really genuinely sought the kingdom of God first, and they're dying in starvation. There's believers all across the world who have sought the kingdom of God first, and they're being persecuted for their faith. There's believers all across the world who have sought the kingdom of God first, and they've been run from their homes, run from their country, and are living as refugees. So either God's a liar, or we've misunderstood what he was saying here. And since Titus 1-2 tells us God can't lie must be we've misunderstood what all these things mean. Because if we come to God hoping for things, we'll be sorely disappointed and you'll miss the greatest joy. See, God's not against you having things. He just knows those things at the center of your heart will always disappoint you. Those things at the center of your heart will not bring you ultimate joy. And so he's trying to get us to lift our eyes off the temporary and to realize that the greatest blessings may not be the house may not be the car. Now, those are great and enjoy them, but the greatest reward is probably coming for you. In fact, is coming for you on the other side of eternity. 
And for eternity, you get to enjoy the abundant provisions of God. And so those who follow Christ who don't get to see all those things in the way that we would imagine them, man, their reward is going to be incredible in heaven. It's just going to be awesome. Which, which kind of leads us to the second half of this, this conversation and question is, do you trust God with your possessions? And we, we talked about trusting him with the future and the things we can't control. But with your present world, with right now, with what's in your hands, what's in your bank account, do you genuinely trust that he has your best interest in mind? Or do we hold so tightly to them, afraid that he might take them, be it possessions, be it people, be it whatever it is, do we trust the God that we're entrusting eternity to? Do we trust our present moment to him as well? Can, can we let that be in God's hands? He's going to lean in and get kind of tender in this next verse as he talks about this. He says, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. He says, don't, don't be afraid about what you lose here. Don't be afraid about what you might not get. And he calls them a little flock. My sheep, my one's dependent on me. Then he says something incredible. Your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. You notice the verb tenses there? It's in you right now in your present. It has been God's great pleasure to give you that kingdom. That kingdom of eternal hope, of eternal peace, of eternal joy of eternity free of sorrow, an eternity free of suffering, an eternity free of pain, and an eternity free of death. <laughs> it was his great pleasure to give you that. When you consider that, does the bill you're worried about really even come close in weight? <laughs> does how that job interview might or might not work out really even compare to an eternity? <laughs> Which God said, it is my great pleasure to give you this. So you're not trying to claw goodness out of God's hands. He, he, he's graciously giving it to you. That may look different than you anticipate, but it, it gives him great joy to give this. You want to, want to read Romans 8 to you because it's just so incredible. Romans chapter 8, verse 17. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. Do you see what that says? You and I, if we believe in Jesus, are co-inheritors of the kingdom. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I know I don't belong in that list. I, I know I don't belong in the inheritance of an eternal kingdom. And yet, it was God's great pleasure to say, what Jesus gets, you get. The goodness of my kingdom to you. And all of a sudden, I'm like, what? I was worried about What? He's trying to get us to shift our perspective. That you're so much more than the 76 years, 79, 82 years that God gives you here. There's so much more to it. And if we could lift our eyes, we'd see the goodness. One of the reasons that I love this Romans passage is because it reminds us of this tension. One day we'll see everything in fruition. We'll be co-heirs with the kingdom. But for now, we're the little flock. We're children. We don't get to see all of it now. And that tension is where worry comes in. Because that tension is where we know God could, but we don't see it yet. You see, what he's doing is keeping and creating reliance. Because reliance creates relationship. 
The reliance that we need um, creates relationship with the Lord. We can throw that up on the screen there, guys. Because you and I, left to our own devices, we're not ready yet. We're not, we're not ready for all the blessings that God has. He understands he needs to keep us close. Like, um, there's a study that says that um, a kid, and if you don't have kids, I hope this doesn't deter you from having kids. If it does, anyway. Um, your kid is going to cost you, from the time they're 1 to 18, on average, $284,000. Right? That's about how much it costs, on average, in the U.S. to raise a kid. Imagine if your 9-year-old came to you and said, so i got a deal for you. You give me half that now, I'll cut you out of the rest. You don't have to worry about it. Right? Just, just hand it over. You can keep the other half for yourself and mom. You can go on a vacation. right? Like, None of you are handing that kid $150,000 or whatever it is and saying, go have fun, buddy, right? Like you're just, you're not going to do that. I have my nine-year-old niece living in my house. I know what she would spend that money on, Paw Patrol. Like I would have no house. It would, be, it would become a Paw Patrol house, I think, is what would happen, right? See, why? Because she's not mature enough to be ready to wisely and responsibly handle all the blessings that God has. You and I, perhaps, aren't ready yet to handle responsibly all the blessings that God wants to give us. And so the reason we may not see that thing yet is because one of a couple reasons. Maybe one, we're not ready for it yet. Maybe two, that thing has become an idol that would pull your heart away from the Lord when God wants to use it to pull you in. And so perhaps not getting that thing was going to be the avenue in which you lean into God. Or it's just not your time yet. You'll get to see it in eternity or perhaps most likely something better in eternity. See, but if we come to God for things, like I said, you'll be disappointed because you may miss God. And anything less than God is surely a disappointment to our hearts. Do you hear where Jesus is leaning in on this conversation? He's trying to offer for us a different perspective about our life here, a different perspective about our future, to remind us of our value to him, and then to weigh the things we worry about in light of those truths. And then he offers a solution, a pathway to a light and free heart. Like, as I was, I was listening to the, my nine-year-old niece talk about um, what she would spend her Christmas money on, I thought, wouldn't it be awesome to be so ignorant of bills? <laughs> like, wouldn't it be awesome to just um, imagine what you could do and not know the reality of the electric bill and all that? Like, and I think that's the invitation Jesus is offering us in, into. That our hearts would be light and free. That our hearts wouldn't be consumed. He said, don't set your heart on those things. Put them over there on the shoulders of your Heavenly Father. Be wise, be responsible. But let your heart be consumed by things that bring ultimate joy. Let your heart be consumed by things that make you free. And this is how he ends in, in verse 33 with some practical ways to freedom. He says, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Since if there's a thing in your life that has become central, that has robbed your joy and stolen your peace, he says, just sell it. It's, it's clearly not offering you anything good. It's clearly just taking from you, so sell it. Now, God doesn't need it. He doesn't need your stuff. What he's doing is helping you put your heart in a place that's free. Helping you put your heart in a place that's not filled with worry, but filled with ultimate 
joy. It says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The reality is the majority of the things that we can stress about, the finances, the bills, whatever, those things will end up in a trash heap or in dust at one point. And what God is saying is don't put your heart in the trash heap. Put your heart in eternity. God will take care of those things. Be wise, but let your heart be free. Maybe for you, there's a couple things for us here this morning. Maybe for you, you're back at our earlier question, and you just need to wrestle with your value before the Lord this morning and sit with some scripture that reminds you of how important you are to God. Maybe for you, your answer to trusting God for the future is no. Maybe for you, you got to sit with some people this week. Sit with a trusted friend, a mentor, or your Bible, and just say, God, you know what? I don't trust you for my future. Can you help me understand what's behind that? And just begin to work through that. Maybe for some of us, we have to go sell something. We've got to give it away um, because it's just become central in our heart and we know that we got to get rid of it. Um, I don't know what it is for us this morning, but my prayer as we've come, we were coming into this holiday season is that this one would be different for you. Um, the, the things that stressed you out last year wouldn't stress you out this year. The things that consumed you last year um, that, that shouldn't have wouldn't consume you this year. That as we come into the holiday seasons, our hearts really could be light and free because we have a good Father whose great pleasure it is to give us good things. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you that because of what Jesus did, we get to be your children. Because of what you sacrificed for us, we get in eternity with you and it's crazy to me to think about that, to know that this life that I, I hold so dearly and this life that I love here, God, is just a blip on the map of what I have in an eternity with you. Lord, I pray that we would keep our problems in perspective with your power. I pray that we would keep uh, our hearts focused on you and that you would give us incredible wisdom and diligence as we put our hands to the plow in the here and now, um, that, that we wouldn't lose sight and that we wouldn't lose our determination to give our all for you, God. Help us walk in the balance of, of knowing that you are God and working hard because you are God. We love you, Lord. We praise you. We give you this day. In Jesus' name, amen.